all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus but you know his proven character that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel therefore i hope to send him at once as soon as i see how it goes with me for i trust in the lord that i myself shall also come shortly yet i considered it necessary to send you paphroditus my brother fellow worker and fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick for indeed he was sick almost unto death but god had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest i should have sorrow upon sorrow therefore i send him the more eagerly that i when you see that that when you see him again you may rejoice and i may be less sorrowful receive him therefore in the lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me morning We're going to continue in our study of uh, Philippians this morning. I just want to remind everybody that today we have a sisters meeting. I encourage all the sisters to please stay back. As you know, we are uh, both the men's and the sisters groups are studying through the discipleship manual. And I think this has been a, a real challenge to all of us. And uh, definitely, I'm, you know, we're able to see that the Lord is, is working on, on many of us in our own lives to examine our own stands and our uh, you know the way that we are living our lives and i think it's always good to be challenged by the word of god so i encourage everybody to please do uh, do stay back and and be a part of that that discussion so that we can all be profited so we're uh, in uh, philippians chapter 2 we've been making our way through the book of philippians and we've come through the last section of chapter 2 so as we have seen you know this is a letter that paul wrote uh to the church in philippi which was a church that he founded on his second missionary journey we can see the history in the book of acts where the um the the the, the lady lydia the seller of purple in the city of thyatira where paul had been called through a dream where the the door to asia was closed by the holy spirit and got a dream saying come into macedonia and help us there was the man from macedonia that called him and then um Macedonia was in in Europe and Paul made his entrance into Europe and the first church was started there in Philippi and now after many years Paul has gone back to Jerusalem uh he was uh, you know he went to the temple there he was arrested and then uh, he was sent back uh to Rome to stand trial before Caesar because as you recall he appealed to Caesar and he's sitting there in a Roman jail in in the house arrest um you know literally chained to a uh to a roman centurion or a roman guard and uh, and he writes four epistles one to the ephesians to the colossians to the to philemon and then finally to the philippians as well and during his imprisonment paul uh writes this epistle this letter to them to express his concern about several things and several uh areas in their own church life as a community as a church community that they needed to really make some changes and examine and and we've been looking through that that Paul in chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 uh he appeals for um, unity and humility among the believers and he actually starts off the section that starts off in first uh, chapter 1 verse 27 and goes all the way through the end of chapter 2 and the 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 sort of theme there is uh, is laid out in chapter 1 and verse 27 where he says only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ so that whether i come and see you or i'm absent i may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel so he was appealing to them that they their conduct would be worthy of the gospel of christ that people would see that the way they were living their lives 
as a church, as individuals within the church, uh, that, that it would be exemplary and that they would stand fast, they would be united together in one spirit, in oneness of mind, and they would strive together, they would be working together for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he goes on to give, and he uh, talks about the specific issues that they were having there in chapter 2 and verse 1 onwards. He says that, that you know, he says, if there is any comfort of love, any fellowship, fulfill my joy, verse 2, chapter 2 and verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul is appealing to them to put aside selfish interests, to come together in oneness of spirit, in unity, and to do the work of the gospel, uh, do strive together for the work of the gospel. And uh, he then takes a little detour and he, and he gives an example. He presents an example. And he says that this unity, this, um, uh, you know, this striving together, this considering yourself low and putting up others, this not uh, being driven by selfish ambition, this, uh, this business of uh, considering or esteeming others better than yourself, it can only happen through humility in your life. And he presents the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, let this mind Verse 5, be in you, which was also in Christ. And he gives us beautiful rendition, beautiful poem about the, uh, the, uh, the, the humility, the, hum, the, the humiliation of Christ followed by the exaltation of Christ, which as we saw, it can stand alone, but in the context, he presents this to say, I want you to have the same humility. You know, and don't be worried about the fact that the humility might mean that you're putting yourself down because just as the Lord because of his humility, because he laid aside everything, because he went to the cross, because he humbled himself unto death, therefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And he gives them this beautiful example of Christ's humility and his obedience, not just his humility, but in humility he obeyed. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, uh, being found, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point even where God's obedience meant giving up his very life. We were just reminded how the Roman law had to be twisted around and everything had to be turned around. He, there was no guilt in him. And yet he went through all that simply because he wanted to be obedient. He was obedient to the will of the Father. And he says, I want you to have the same obedience in your life. And then when we come down to verse 12, Paul comes away from that detour. He returns back to the subject at hand. Uh, the appealing, the appeal that had begun in verse 27 of chapter 1, where he says, let your conduct be worthy. And he says, let's talk about that now. And he says, I want you to work out your own salvation. I want you to do so with fear and trembling. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, that this is something our growth, our sanctification, our coming to maturity is something to be taken seriously. It is not a joke. It is something to be done with fear and trembling in godly fear. And it involves us doing our part as well as God doing his part. It tells us there that we are to work out our own salvation. But it also says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God who works the energia, we saw that was the Greek word there. God gives you the energy to be successful in this work, but we have to do our part as well. It, is, it, is, it, is, um, it involves a partnership between the power of God that is in us. No believer is lacking the power to live a godly life. No believer is lacking the power to grow into spiritual maturity. But it is only when we quench the spirit, it is when we are not willing to do our part, to work out our own salvation that we stagnate. We are to work out our own salvation. And then he says in verse, um, uh, later on in verse uh, 13, uh, sorry, verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says that you may become blameless and harmless. We are to live blameless and harmless or blameless and innocent lives before the world. 
What does it mean to be blameless? Does it mean sinless perfection? No. It means that when people look at us and they look at what they see outwardly, our outward actions, they cannot lay a charge against us. It says that an elder is to be blameless. Does that mean an elder is perfect? No. It means that when you look at his life, you know, you cannot find anything that you can really criticize or say that he is failing here or he fails there or he doesn't have this or he doesn't have control over that. He may have a lot of things in his life that he's dealing with between him and God, but when you look at it outwardly, he should be blameless. People in the world, when they look at us, they should not be able to uh, say that, that, that you know, he's a person who, who puts up with corruption. He's a person who speaks filthy. He's a person who, 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 who treats people in a certain way. We are to be blameless. We are to be innocent before the world. And it says, without complaining at our circumstances and complaining against each other, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and then he says, you are to be shining as lights in the world. Our testimony. We are to watch our testimony. What does the world see? And this entire section is an appeal to the church community as to how they are to interact with each other. It's all about unity. It's about our testimony as a church being a shining light. And that can only be the case if we as individuals are, have that testimony of a shining light. And then when we come into this last section of the chapter from verse 19, Paul switches gears a little bit and he, he talks about two men. And we're going to look at them in a minute here. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Both of them he is sending to Philippi to encourage them, to check on their spiritual welfare. And in the process, he gives a commendation of both these men. And we're going to look at what Paul has to say about these two men today and see what we can glean from that and apply to our own lives. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, but before I do that, I just want to, uh, want to switch a little bit back to the subject of, you know, of um, uh, conducting ourselves. Verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And I wanted to share a few things, just a matter of concern here, you know, as, as elders of the church and we hear and see things going on, there are a lot of things that, that really concern us. And one of these things is how is our conduct? How is your conduct? And is it conduct that is worthy of the gospel? Are you really, am I really a shining, shining as a light in the world? And we've come across several cases or several situations where we find that perhaps many of us, many of us, even those who are here, that, you know, we are really doing a lot of things simply because we believe that's what's expected of us. And, you know, our life as a Christian is not really being driven by true change in our hearts. And I just want us all to examine ourselves there. You know, are you just going through the motions? Are you not feeling it? Is, is this life that you think you're called to live, you think that it's just a bunch of rules that we all have to follow? Do you feel like it's just taking the fun out of your life? I've heard that a few times recently from several people. Why is it that we can't have fun like everybody else? Why is it that we have to be restricted? Are you just going through the motions because you think it's a thing to do to please your parents or to fit in with your culture and your background because you want to protect the name of your family? You know, we are all, and I'm not talking about perfection here. And, and very often we find young people today, maybe some in this church, really rejecting what the word of God says. Those who claim to be followers of Christ. And let me tell you this, that if you are a true believer, and I want to be careful how I say this, if you are a true believer, you will not have the desire to reject God and go after the world without, without being convicted by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And if you are not feeling that conviction, then there is a problem. 
You know, there are some among us who are frankly living immoral lives. We are living a lie. I'm not talking about one-off sins. I'm not talking about struggles. You know, struggling is a good thing. It is a good thing for a Christian to struggle with sin. And when I'm, by struggle, I mean that when you are getting into something, there's something in the back of your mind telling you, this is wrong, this is wrong, you got to get out of it. You need to go seek help. That's the Spirit of God speaking through your conscience. But if you don't have that, and you believe that it's okay to do it, and you keep persisting in it, there is a problem. And if you are living a lie, I want to encourage you to stop it now. Acknowledge that you are not a true believer in Christ. You know, uh, I keep hearing this, you know, the, the people in the world, they have fun. Why can't we do that? You know, to me, that itself means there's something wrong. Because you see, if you are a believer... Your mind should be changed and those things that they view as fun should be reprehensible to you. You know, I do a lot of traveling, as you know. Spent many nights away with some of my colleagues. Plenty of opportunity to fall for temptation. We have a long day. We go out for dinner. You come back. They want to go to the bar. And then some of them want to go to other things, gentlemen's clubs and so on. That temptation is always there. You know, but they don't ask me because they know I don't engage in that. And I never have. I just go back to my room and go to bed or do some work. But you see the thing is, and they may view it as, you know, he's missing out on the fun. But the fact is, I don't even think I'm missing out on anything because I have zero attraction to that. I find it, and I'm not saying this to boast. That stuff, you know, I am reminded of the hymn. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Can someone quote the second line of that stanza? For thee, all the... Yeah, some say follies, but a lot of versions say the pleasures of sin I resign for thee all the pleasures of sin see if you love the Lord Jesus those things won't be pleasures in fact that's why somebody changed that to follies they said no we cannot call these things as pleasures but actually this is written from the perspective of an unsaved person for him it is a pleasure for me it ought not to be a pleasure and if that is a pleasure and that is what you crave there is something wrong it means that your heart is not right with the Lord And you need to own up to that. Because then we can minister to you differently. Stop living a life of fakery. Stop living a lie. If you are engaged in immorality in your life, if you are having relationships with unsafe people, that's fine if you are not a believer. But I don't, you know, this is not a black and white thing. The word of God says, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. It is black and it is white. Yes and no. This is not about whether you should watch a movie or what kind of movie you can watch. It's not a gray area. If the Holy Spirit of God is not telling you that that is wrong, there is a problem. You are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I can say that emphatically. Live your lives as worthy. Your conduct be worthy of the gospel. If you are a believer who is truly struggling Please seek help. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. You know, it it is okay to struggle, folks, as long as you are struggling. But if you're going, if those things of sin are a pleasure to you and it is not a struggle to you, then there is a problem. Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul prays, he says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, this is the prayer of Paul, please pray this prayer if you are struggling with sin in your life and you are a believer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The reason why you struggle, the reason why you fall 
is because your inner man is not strong enough. Pray this prayer every day, every moment, that you may be strengthened with might. Not just become strong, but be strengthened with might, with the mighty power of God through the Spirit of God who dwells in you, that your inner man may be strengthened, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and so on. There is help if you are a believer. But if you are really not a believer, please, don't continue to live a lie. Because, you know, this is about your eternal state. You can fool people, you can fool your parents, you can fool the elders, you can even fool the people in the church, but you cannot fool God. There is a judgment coming. And remember all those parables where the people are knocking on the door and what does the Lord say? I did not know you. I do not know you. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Too late. Too late. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if you find that you are just getting pleasure out of sin, then take a deep look at your life. Examine yourself. And let's deal with that problem first before we move on towards spiritual maturity. That spiritual maturity comes only after salvation. And let us not keep living a lie. I trust that the Lord will speak to us along these lines. Coming back to Philippians chapter 2. So here we see Paul as he writes to the Philippian believers, he he's given them these instructions. He's talked to them about what they need to do about unity in the spirit. And he's talked to them about sacrifice and suffering in verse 17 and 18. And he says, be glad and rejoice with me in the midst of your suffering. And then he says, I'm going to send two men to you. And he had serious concerns about the Philippian believers. But what we see here, you know, one of the things that I've really been impressed with, and I love the word of God because, you know, uh, the scripture says the word of God is, is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, and, and what does it mean that's living and powerful? It means that, you know, it's not just like a novel. It's not just like a piece of literature. You know, you read it again and again. It's the same story coming through. The word of God is powerful because it really speaks to you. You know, it really speaks to you. And, and you know, I've had the, the, the joy of being an elder for the last eight years of this church. And, uh, and you know, uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs. And we've been through everything that you can possibly be through as a church, right? Everything from discipline to ups and downs and problems and, 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 and all kinds of things. But, but as, as I go through that and, and God builds in me a heart for the, for the spiritual health of the people, I begin to see how Paul... Is, just has this absolute yearning and a care and his ministry to them for the believers and, and in the midst of, of, of really chewing them out and, and, and giving it to them, you know, saying, you guys, you are conceited, you are self-centered, you are not humble, you are this, you are that. And he's giving it to them in Galatians. He calls them, you foolish Galatians. Yet we see his pastoral care, his concern just, just coming out. And Paul is giving them these strong admonitions from verse 1, chapter 127 through through 2.18, he says, you, have, you are lacking unity, you are lacking humility, you are thinking only about yourself, you are self-centered. And yet we see here that, you know, in verse 19, he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus, send Timothy to you, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. He says, I want to know how you're doing. And you know, the way this works is that he's going to send Epaphroditus first, even though he talks about Timothy first, with the letter. And Epaphroditus is going to go with the letter and then He's going to follow up and send Timothy to see what is the impact, uh, how have they received this letter, and Timothy is to come back and report to him. And he says, I want to send Timothy to you. I want to send Epaphroditus to you to comfort you, to encourage you, so that I may know your state. I care about your spiritual state. And you know, we we see so many times he uses soft words to soften up the the, the tough message, right? Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... Therefore, my beloved, he calls him his beloved. And he says, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's commending them. Even as he's giving them a hard message, he's commending them for their past obedience in an encouraging way. And then verse 28, um, he goes on to say that you may rejoice 
Therefore, I sent him more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. So I I don't want to be sorrowful on your behalf. I want to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. And this very important principle we can get here on the need for balance in our fellowship, in our relationships, in Christian relationships with each other. You know, we ought to have good Christian friendships. We ought to have other believers that we are friends with. And we need friendships to have someone... uh, close, with whom we can share our joys, with whom we can share our sorrows, with whom we can share everyday events. But, you know, the goal of true, the Christian friendship is different than the world. Sometimes we, we value the worldly friendships more because those people, you know, they listen to you and they're always there for you and they will, if you are doing something wrong, they'll never tell you that you're doing something wrong. They'll just encourage you even in that. So we find that, you know, especially young people, they find that much better and they don't want friends in the church. But the goal of true Christian friendship is growth in Christ on the part of both people. We have to be honest with each other without jeopardizing the relationship. To speak the truth in love. That's what Paul is doing here. He's speaking the truth in love. His heart for them comes out that the reason he's criticizing them is not because he gets some pleasure out of it. But he wants to see them grow. He wants to see them change. He wants to see them mature. And we ought to have that heart for our fellow believers You don't have to be an elder or a leader in the church. All of us need to have godly, good, healthy friendships with each other. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says you have to stir up each other to love and good works. How much stirring up are we doing? It speaks of stirring up the the logs in the fire. You know, the fire, the the logs die down. You You have to stoke it. You have to stir it up so that it picks up the flame again. What type of Christian friendships do we have? Are we open to honesty. You know, when that, that, that brother or sister comes to you and says, you know, sister, uh, I'm very concerned about you. Do we shut them off? Because they're going to take us away from our fun? Or are we be- willing to listen? Maybe this is the Holy Spirit speaking through this person. Maybe they care about me. And that's why they're saying it. Are we open to honesty about our spiritual direction? We see a Paul with love and honesty. He did not hold back. He told them what was wrong. He told them what they had to do. He sent messengers to them to, to, to reinforce that message and to see how they were doing. That's the care that he had. Do we have that kind of care for each other? Do we, do we just come and go and we don't even have relationships with people in the church? You know, the church is not meant to be directed from the top. Okay? Uh, it's meant to be organic people Community. We are meant to be a community. We are to relate to each other. We are to know about each other. We are to build relationships and build each other up. We can't have enough messages and programs and things to to make sure that every single person's needs are being met. Ministry among the believers. Your care for the believers. May Paul be an example of that. And now we come to Timothy. And Timothy and Epaphroditus, these are two individuals, you know, Timothy, we see a lot of things talked about Timothy, right? We, we, we see, uh, you know, Timothy's talked about all the way from Acts to the epistles, and then Paul even wrote two letters, First and Second Timothy, to Timothy as a young pastor. He's quite well known. There's a lot of things written about him. And then you have Epaphroditus. The only mention of Epaphroditus is here in this passage uh, in uh, Philippians 2, 25 to 30, and then later, I think, in Philippians 4, verse uh, 18, where he says, uh, I, have an, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus uh, the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And I was thinking, why, why did uh, Paul all of a sudden talk about these two uh, believers here, Epaphroditus and Timothy? And why, why the two of them? And of course, in the context, it was because they were the ones that he was sending. He wanted to commend them. He wanted to explain why they were coming. But I also think that Paul was trying to show us two models of two different believers, perhaps at different, uh, different um, uh, points in the spectrum. You know, one is Timothy, a pastor, young preacher, you know, leader in the church. Another one, Epaphroditus, more of a uh, sort of a humble servant in the church. And, and he wants to present them as, as examples of believers that we can follow. And I believe he, he, that because he proceeds to give a commendation about them. And here we see first of all Timothy. And he presents Timothy as a sincere and caring servant of God. A sincere and caring servant 
of God in verses 19 through 24. Let's look at that. What does he tell us about Timothy? Verse 21 and 22. Uh, He says, uh, sorry, verse 20 and 21. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which we, uh, which, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served me with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Paul is expecting that he's going to come there later. First, Epaphrodite is going to go. Timothy is going to go and come back with the report. And then by then, Paul is expecting that he might be released and, uh, and he will go there himself. But what does he say? He says here in verse um, 20, uh, he says, I have no one like-minded. I have no one like-minded. Another translation says a kindred spirit. Timothy was like-minded with Paul. He had the same concern for believers. You know, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. We know that uh, Paul took Timothy as a young man. You know, he, uh, there when he, when he traveled uh, on one of his missionary journeys and he picked him up and he uh, became a disciple of Paul. And over time, we can see from this statement here that he came to, to, to imbibe a lot of things from Paul and his character became very much like Paul and Paul mentored him. And if we go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we can see the kind of uh, instruction that Paul gives, uh, gives to Timothy. They had this, this very tight father and son. In fact, he says uh, right here, right? He says that, uh, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So Timothy was not only his son in the faith, but even, even physically he was sort of like a, a son to Paul. Uh, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, he says, here's the instructions. And I, I'm not going to go into the actual instruction. I just want to, you to get a sense of the kind of mentoring that Paul did, the kind of advice that Paul is giving to Timothy, he says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which, has given, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying out on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. What, what rich instruction. What spiritual instruction. Somebody uh, once uh, you know, coined the saying that, that, uh, you know, that we should all be a Timothy and have a Paul. Be a Timothy, have a Paul, but also be a Paul and have a Timothy. We all have that opportunity. You know, we're all at different levels of maturity. There's always somebody in this group of, you know, 150 people or whatever it is that's less mature than you in the Christian walk. There is always somebody that's more mature than you. I need to be discipling. I need to be discipled. All of us. And that's how we grow. When you disciple somebody, you will grow yourself and they will grow. I encourage you to have spiritual mentors. Timothy was mentored by Paul. He saw him all the way through. He wrote letters to him. You saw the instruction that he gives to them. You know, when was the, when was the last time you, you, you asked, you encouraged somebody to not neglect the gift that is in them? Have you taken the time to go to somebody and say, you know, brother, you know, sister, I believe you have this gift. Can I suggest a way for you to exercise that gift in the church community? When was the last time you encouraged someone to, uh, to give attention to reading the word of God? To continue in doctrine. Be a Timothy, have a Paul. Be a Paul, have a Timothy. So essential to Christian discipleship. So Timothy was a kindred spirit. He was like-minded. He had the same concern. And then secondly we see back in... Um, Philippians 2 and verse 20, second part, it says that um, um, he's like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He had sincerity, a genuine concern for the welfare of the believers. And I'm so glad we have a lot of concern and care for our fellow believers in this church. We saw that, you know, physically in the last few weeks when people were sick and, 
in the hospital and so on that's wonderful but you know we need to go beyond caring for the physical we need to care for the spiritual caring for the physical is the easier part of that bargain you need to have genuine concern for the spiritual welfare and i i thank god for the many of you who invest in the life of others the life of families who who keep at it it can be very frustrating sometimes it can be not very rewarding uh, and you might want to give up but here is timothy he had a genuine concern and paul is commending him for that and then thirdly he gave priority to the things of christ above his own selfish interests let's go to verse 21 it says for all seek their own not the things which are of christ jesus all he says you look around you and you're seeing and he's he's already criticized some of the believers in that church and he said that you know you you are all selfish of selfish ambition you are seeking after your thing you're not putting the other person above yourself and he says timothy is not like that he does not seek his own he seeks the things which are of christ jesus he was a true example and i think paul is holding up timothy and you know he has just given them that example of the lord jesus christ and he said look at christ he should be your example and maybe someone is prone to say yeah but that's christ where is christ where am i and so he says let me give you these two young men who are just like you and me who are just like you young believers they too are an example they too are an example of christ likeness and then finally fourth thing he says about timothy um you know his proven character his proven character and the word proven character here is comes from the verb that says put to the test he had been put to the test and proven character is what you do or what you are when nobody is looking at you you know go back to my my comments about trying to fake it trying to live a lie you know god knows you cannot fool god you cannot fool god and it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry god and that's what's going to happen on the judgment day what is your character really like is it really character that is indwelt by the holy spirit or are we just doing things to please people timothy as an example to all believers you know i had a thought what would if somebody was writing your commendation letter or my commendation letter what would it say hmm and you know i got a couple of interesting commendation letters i thought i'll read this to you you know we get commendation letters all the time so i'm just going to read you without without revealing who it is and please don't try to guess you can't guess anyway it's not important okay focus on the con so here's a commendation letter i got for somebody per your request we want to introduce blankety blank okay he has been in fellowship at this church for about 2 years so this is a commendation letter and and, and you know, i was very surprised because normally when you ask for commendation letter most churches elders they take it as a formality and they just write it and give it they didn't say very much okay but but these elders actually took this seriously okay so here's a person who's been there for 2 years as we normally do with our new believers we did a welcome visit with him and and listen to this and understand that he is a born again believer to the best of our knowledge and that he got baptized when he was about so many years old so anytime i see the words best of our knowledge that's uh, that that concerns me you know if you have been here for 2 years and i cannot say with all confidence that you are a born again believer and i have to use caveats like best of my knowledge that's a problem isn't it that's a problem but the fact is many of us our participation in the church is such that we have to just assume because he's done a testimony he said did something because he got baptized so we assume that he's a believer that's what they say what this what these between the lines here they're saying is you know we can't really we haven't really seen the fruits but he has told us that he's saved and he's baptized and yes he shows up and so to the best of our knowledge we believe he's saved oh no he doesn't even say we believe he says we understand it goes on so here's the the testimonial to this brother he is a friendly brother very good 
very respectful and is pleasing to talk to. Okay, I, I hope that for all of you, if I write a commendation letter, I can say a lot more about you than that you are friendly and respectful and pleasant to talk to. You don't shout back at me when I talk to you. Okay. <laughs> His attendance has been sporadic. Okay, he only attends blah blah blah. I'm not going to read all the details. The elders have shown their care and have discussed the importance of church life and fellowship, and he has shown some improvements. In, in attendance, okay? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, you know, you can always fake it and do all these things and, and yes, that's true. You know, you, you can be in this church and you can be very active, you can be in the choir, you know, you can even be uh, doing anything, leading Bible study, whatever, and, and still be faking it. That's, that's, that's possible. Okay? If, if that's how you are, if you really, if you are living a double life, then as I said earlier, please own up to it. Okay, you can't fool God. But if you are truly a believer and, and your participation in the church is such that all we can say about you is that you are respectful and, and nice to talk to, let me tell you, you are not being, uh, you know, you are not playing your part in the body of Christ. You ought to have much more in mind than that. And I'm not saying everybody's to get up and preach. No, there's plenty of things you can do. You, people in the church ought to know you. Well enough to be able to say, yes, you know, I've been, I've sat with this brother, with this sister. I have seen them struggle through problems in their life, but they are growing in the Lord. That's a real testimony of a growing believer. Let me, let me read you another one by contrast. This one was not, this was on paper. I'm just not going to read the whole letter. I'm just going to read one. And this is a very small letter. And yet it told me so much. Here's a com- the one, one, one line. We commend him to God's people where he would be useful in winning souls and giving his life's testimony. He would be useful in winning souls and giving his life's testimony. What this, this elders who wrote those things are telling us is this brother, he has participated. I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming. We know that he has the ability to win souls. To share the gospel. Maybe he's participated in outreach. And his testimony. Is powerful. Because he has shared it with us. Because he has been a testimony to others in the church. Put those two together. Which do you think. The Lord wants you to be. With whom are you like minded. Are you like minded with the world. Or with Christ. Are you like minded with other spiritual people. Where are your priorities? Do you have a genuine concern for other believers or are you living on an island? You know, you just come and go. You don't want anybody to know anything about yourself. Because that's a problem. They might ask you questions. They might ask you if you're reading your Bible. They might ask you if you're having your quiet time. They might ask you if you're uh, keeping pure. I don't want to deal with that. Has your character passed the test? Timothy, you know his proven character. Have you passed the test of temptation? Have you passed the test of staying pure? Or if you are struggling, are you getting help with it? My time is going. Let me quickly talk about Epaphroditus. Here we find a faithful and a suffering servant of Christ. Yet I considered, verse 25, it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So Epaphroditus has a background here. He was sent by the Philippian church to minister to Paul. You know, the Philippian church knew Paul had a need. They collected some money and they gave it to Epaphroditus and charged him with delivering it. So we see in verse uh, uh, 25 here that he uh, ministered, the one who ministered to my need. Okay? So, uh, but he had fallen seriously ill. So in verse 26 we see that, uh, that you were distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Okay? Uh, and then in verse 27 it says, For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus had fallen sick, and it was some serious illness. It doesn't tell us the details, but he was almost dying, almost dead. But by the mercy of God, he had been healed. You know, any, and Paul says, by God's mercy... 
right? In verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 27, uh, he says, uh, uh, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also. God had mercy on him. You know, any, any recovery we have, any uh, recovery from illness, any healing or good in our life is by the mercy of God. We ought to always acknowledge that. And then what does Paul have to say? What is his commendation about Epaphroditus? We saw his commendation about Timothy. About Epaphroditus, he says three things again. Uh, or he calls him, who was Epaphroditus to Paul? Verse 25, he, he says three things about him. He says that he is my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. A brother, you know, speaks of such affection. For fundamental term of Christian relationship. We are brothers and sisters. We are not just friends. We are part of one family, the adopted family of God. Do you have that brotherly, sisterly relationship with the fellow brothers and sisters in this, in this congregation? We, and then he says, you're a fellow worker. He's a co-laborer. He labored alongside Paul. He suffered along with Paul. And then thirdly, he's a fellow soldier, a comrade in arms. You know, soldiers sold the, these units of the army and things. They have such a bond. You know, if you talk to people, you know, they have such a bond with each other because they have been through, through literally through hell, you know, put up with fighting and, and bullets and all kinds of dangerous situations. That builds this bond. And he says, he's a fellow soldier. He's a comrade in arms. He has been in battle with me as we battle the spirit of darkness in the, in the uh, ministry of the gospel. That's who Epaphroditus was. That was the testimony that Paul had for him. And then in verse 26, he says, he was longing for you all, just like Timothy. He had a care. He had a longing, a concern for his fellow believers that he had left behind in Philippi. And then thirdly, verse 30, he says that um, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. He came close to death. He, was, he suffered and he was willing to risk his life he risked his life to serve Paul and to do the Lord's work. Epaphroditus was an example, is an example to all of us. Who are we to each other? Are we fellow brothers? Are we fellow workers? Are we fellow soldiers? Are we, are we in the battlefield with our brother and sister in Christ, the one who's battling these problems in their life, whatever the problem might be, that they're struggling day in and day out? Are we there fighting the battle with them? Are we fellow soldiers? Do we have a longing for them, a longing for their spiritual health and their growth? Do we have that special care and concern? Are we willing to suffer and risk our life for our fellow believers? Let me just close. Tim- Timothy and Epaphroditus, examples for us. What would our commendation look like? Would it be characterized by Christ-mindedness, concern for other believers, priority on Christ and his kingdom, strong character, would it be characterized by suffering for the gospel? Or would it just be a ho-hum? You know, he cares mostly about himself. Not much fellowship with other believers. No real spiritual growth. Live for himself or herself rather than for the Lord. Cares more about the world than the things of the Lord. You know, the Christian life, if you are truly saved, you, know, you will have that desire to grow. Our testimony ought to be a serious thing for us as Christians. We have to live in humility, follow the example of the Lord. You know, being, being a believer is not, it's, it's not at all about ourselves. It ought to be about our own spiritual growth by ministering to others. That's what we are finding in this passage as Paul commends Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we ought to be serious about our walk with the Lord. We ought to not just be satisfied with the bare minimum. You know, I just go there because when I'm going to get married, somebody has to say that I'm a member of that church. That's not, that's not what the Lord saved you for. That is not what he saved you for. That's not what he gave his life for you for. To do the bare minimum. To please your parents or your society or you're worried what everybody will think if I stop going to church. If that's what's bringing you here, please stop. Don't come here for that reason. Come here because you love the Lord and you want to grow and you want to minister to other believers in Christ. That's what the church is about. Every part of the body fitted together, growing to maturity. That's what the body of Christ is about. 
May the Lord speak to us through these words. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord God Almighty, for the power of your word and the practicality of it and how it speaks to us. Lord, I just want to pray for us as a church, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for any here who do not truly know you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would truly, that each of us would truly examine ourselves, Lord. What is it that's motivating us? Is the Spirit of God truly living within us, Lord? And if it is not, if he is not, pray that we would have the boldness and the courage to come out and say, I need the Savior first. I need redemption first. Before church attendance, before doing things to please other people. For my eternal destiny depends on that. I pray for any here, Lord, who might be saved but still struggling, Lord, that they would come out with that struggle and share it with mature believers in the church so that we might fight the battle with them, Lord, so that we might become fellow soldiers and fellow brothers with them. And sisters, Lord, I just pray that your word wouldn't just be proclaimed and have no effect in our lives, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would work in every heart here today and you will call us to a higher calling. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with the status quo. Help us not to be satisfied, Lord, with the bare minimum. Help us to do more, Father. Help us to have not just do more, but have a desire, Lord, to do more because that's what is driving us, because that is what do it not out of obligation, Father, but out of joy, out of love, out of a desire, Lord, to do it because that is what brings pleasure to us rather than doing the things of the world, Lord. Pray that the things of the world would not bring more pleasure to us than doing the things of the Lord. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.